G'day and welcome to another edition of the Life of Brian podcast. My name's Kevin Hillier. Here is Brian. It's his life. It's his oh, podcast. Hello, Mr well, Mannix. Hello, Kev. How are you going? Going very um, well. Well, it's not really my life this week. This week we're sort of chock-a-block with great, wonderful guests on the oh, show. It is it is a blockbuster edition of the Life of Brian podcast. You, we, we talked at the end of the last one and you said, you know, anyone you could possibly get, who would it be? And I said... Alice Cooper, thinking that was, you know, pie-in-the-sky sort of stuff. Ladies and, and gentlemen, the artist formerly known as Vincent Furnier will be joining us very shortly. Wow, isn't that fantastic? Well done, Kev. Yeah, and then and, uh, I said, uh, just in case you couldn't get him, <laughs> could yeah. you get Jamie Redfern? Done. Tick the box. Done. Ready to go. <laughs> so we've got Alice Cooper and Jamie Redfern on the show. What a combination. And then we might even chat with our old mate Gavin Wood a bit later on too. So, wow. There you go. What that's, a lineup. That's probably a show. Well, yeah, I'd reckon that's probably a show. <laughs> and, I, no, and I just love the idea we've got Alice Cooper and Jamie Redford on the same show. That's fantastic. Well, the King, what do they call, they call, well, Jamie, of course, won the King of Pop back in about 74 or 75, I think. Yes, from he memory. did. Yes, and he then did. Alice is sort of known as the godfather of shock rock. Yes. And then Gavin's kind of the voice of, you know, uh, 70s and 80s rock in this country. Well, it's just, it's all interconnected. So you I know think, what? I'm bugging right. if I know what you and I are doing on this podcast because we're, we're eminently unqualified. Well, this is right. It's exactly <laughs> right. So <laughs> we so, the bugger off and yeah. get somebody good on. Yeah, let's just leave Alice and Jamie and Gavin to, the, to themselves and we'll go off and have a coffee or something. Well, if we were allowed to go and have a coffee, but that would be great. But of course, we, we wouldn't be doing that. But of course, it, we're, and we're doing this because of the, uh, the great... To support we have from Mercot's Driving Excellence. Uh, now, uh, Brian, I've mm. got to ask you a very serious question here. Please do. I would imagine you think you're a good driver. Yes. Or well, well um, I, look, I think I probably am a good driver because I'm, I get scared in cars and um, so I drive very defensively. And also, I'm not a bad driver because I learnt at Mercot's when I was Grand Prix driving. So I was going to say, now, that was back in, what, 85? That's 85, yeah. Okay. Well, since 85, you've probably developed some bad habits that you don't even oh. know that you've developed as a driver. Well, bad habits, not even anything to do with driving, Kev. But, yes, yes probably <laughs> as a driver, I've probably picked up some bad habits. Yes. And, um, yes. So what, what, what? So I should go down to Mercots and get them to get rid of my bad habits. A refresher course about your driving and your driving habits and the things that have crept into you. I mean, let's face it, you get behind the wheel of a car... Um, things can happen that uh, that can have amazing and bad ramifications for your life. So you want to be as good as you can get, go and uh, talk to Mercots. And, of course, it's as simple as just jumping on the website, mercots.edu.au, giving them a call, one three hundred triple five five seven six. So, you know, it might be time to have a refresher course about your driving techniques. Well, and if you if you drive for a living, now's the time maybe to put it on the boss and say, hey, I think all of us here need to get a bit of a refresher course going on. So uh, give them a call, one three hundred triple five five seven six 555 or mercots.edu.au and, and we thank them for their support. And I reckon, Kev, if you've got a teenager about 18 or yep. just about to start driving... Go and give them a little defensive course at Mercot's just to keep them safe and give yourself a bit of peace of mind. Yep, cover all the bases. All right, uh, we have uh, we have a superstar 
uh, on ready and uh, about to go. Ladies and gentlemen, we're both very, very, very excited about uh, this opportunity. Oh, uh, my God. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, it is the star of the uh, the radio series uh, Nights with Alice Cooper. It's, yes, it's Alice Cooper on this podcast. Hooray! Hello. Alice, hello. It's Kevin Hillier hello. and Brian Mannix. Hey, Kevin. How you doing? Hi, Brian. Hey, Alice. How are you going? How are you guys doing? Yeah, we're good. We're in. We're like you. We're in lockdown of, of sorts. Our state actually is in very heavy lockdown. So, uh, yeah, we're sort of battling away like everybody else in the world. You know, we're in Arizona and it's 120 degrees here tomorrow. Jeez. <laughs> 120 Fahrenheit. I don't know what that even is in Celsius. 50 something. <laughs> Very hot. <laughs> Do you play golf? Yeah, it's hot. <laughs> Do you play golf? In well, the- I play. I I play at 5:30 in the morning every morning. 5:30, 6 o'clock in the morning, and we're done by you know 8:30, 9 o'clock. So that's that's when it's only probably 90 degrees. How's your golf playing these days? I I'll tell you what. I've shot even yesterday. Shot three over this morning. So I'm, I'm playing pretty good, but I, you know, in Arizona, there's 200 golf courses just in Phoenix, just in the area that I'm in. It's kind of like a, it's a place where everybody comes from all over the world to play golf. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's not like a big city. It's a, it's 5 million people, but it's nobody lives on top of each other. Everybody lives on the ground. And uh, I think that, that uh, maybe is one of the reasons we're not in New York City, you know, where every ninety uh, percent of the people have got COVID. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, Alice, who introduced you to golf? How did you get into golf in the first place? You know, it's a funny thing because I was a good baseball player, and uh, when I stopped drinking thirty-eight years ago, uh, I had to find an addiction that wasn't going to kill me <laughs> because all my other addictions were killing me. So I stopped drinking and drugging and all that, all the rock and roll stuff that you're supposed to do at my age. And, uh, and I said, well, I, I can't just sit here at home. You know, uh, when, when you're on tour, it's a little easier because you're working all the time. But when you're at home, you know, that's, that's not a good idea for an alcoholic. So I said, I've got to find something that's going to be an addiction that it's going to take five hours a day and it's not going to kill me. I went out and I, I picked up a golf club and I took one swing and I hit a seven iron right down the middle. And the, the pro says, you're a natural. And if, since then, I play five, six days a week, every single day. Wow. So you've played in the last 37 years, I imagine, I estimate you played 13,172 games of golf. And that's probably a lot better than having 13,172 <laughs> bottles of vodka. Uh, yeah, that's, tr- that's, that's true. I mean, I was like, I got to a point where, you know, I was drinking, you know, I was one of the Hollywood vampires, you know, we were drinking every single night up at the, at the rainbow in Hollywood. And, uh, you know, it was the regular gang. It was uh, Harry Nielsen and John Lennon and Keith Moon and uh, Mickey Dolans from the Monkees and Bernie Toppin. And every single night, that was the drinking club. And <laughs> it just got to be such a normal, it just got to be such a normal thing to, to drink all night. You know, finally, my, my, my body started going, hey, we're dying in here. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, golf came pretty naturally to you, though, didn't it? Because you've got... Um acute perception would that be fair to say that you watch somebody do something and then you can pretty much do it well it's it's you know it's a muscle memory thing you know i played so much but it really did help i mean i haven't had a drink in 38 years you know and i uh, and i haven't uh, you know i haven't had any drugs or anything like that and that's why i'm still here at 72 in two touring bands now 
you know, at 72, you're not supposed to be out on the road. As soon as one tour is over, you know, then you go out with the vampires and that's another tour with Johnny Depp and Joe Perry and those guys. And, uh, but both bands are so much fun to be in that it's, it's, it doesn't feel like that, you know, the, the vampire band is, is kind of like what you were doing, the, the androids. Uh, only we were saluting all of our, you know, all of our dead drunk friends. <laughs> you know, we were doing Jimi Hendrix and Jim Morrison and, uh, Keith. Mo- yeah. I mean, all the guys that died were the guys that we used to drink with. So Johnny and Joe and I put a band together and, and just did songs from them, you know, wow. the, and that was fun. To, that was fun to do is be a bar band, you know, because we had to go do our, our regular tour, which is the arenas and everything. And then when we had time off, we'd all get together and go be a bar band. Well, the bar band turned into a touring <laughs> band that was doing arenas again. Then so, so now I'm in two big touring bands. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, what's Johnny Depp like as a guitarist? Well, uh, let's put it this way. He spent the last couple of months with Jeff Beck. Oh, Working wow. with Jeff. And that's not, that's saying something right there. I know that he plays with Jeff a lot and he, uh, you know, he, they did a song together, I think, for this uh, COVID thing. And, um, yeah, Je- uh, Johnny can play. You know, we, okay. I, we knew that Johnny was, we knew he was a player before he was an actor. And so when he's in the band, you know, of course, you know, we always kid him about being, you know, Edward Scissorhands and all the other guys he is, Jack Sparrow. But when he's on stage, he's our guitar player. And, uh, you know, Joe Perry and I have been in front of hundreds of thousands of people. And this was a brand new thing for him being in front of that many people live. But man, he holds his own, he holds his own every single night. Oh, that's cool. Um, you got a new song out, Don't Give Up, which is about the current situation. Um, it's a fantastic song. It's really cool. It's menacing, everything we expect from you. Was it difficult to record with lockdown and all that sort of stuff? Well, the funny thing was, was this. I had I'd recorded an album called uh, Detroit Stories. And the Detroit Stories was about my hometown, Detroit. You know, L.A. had its own sound. They had the doors. And they had the Buffalo Springfield. And then San Francisco had, you know, the Jefferson Airplane and Grateful Dead. And New York had the Young Rascals and the Ramones, all those bands. Detroit was Alice Cooper, Bob Seger, Ted Nugent, Iggy and the Stooges, the MC5, Jack White. All the hard rock bands came out of Detroit. So I did an album called Detroit Stories using all Detroit players. And on the album, I did a song called Hanging On By A Thread, which was about suicide. And uh, when this whole virus thing hit, I said, why don't we pull that song? I'll change the verse on it. We can keep the B section and the chorus, but I'll change the verse and I will have Alice talk directly to the virus and tell the virus that we're not afraid of it and that it doesn't have that much longer to live, and we're going to be here a, a lot longer after it's gone, and don't mess with the human race. Yeah, yeah it's fantastic. Um, I, like, I love all the talking stuff in the middle. It's, as you say, you're talking directly to us, and that um, in, in lesser hands, a song about this could be quite tacky, but yours is just cool as hell, so well done on that. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And, you know, I figured that the only person that could stand up and actually talk to the virus and the audience would be Alice. <laughs> and we didn't want to sing it. I, I, I figured, you know, uh, singing it would be different when Alice literally talks to it. He's just being very matter of fact. He's going, look, 
You've, you've got a limited amount of time. But the blood and guts human race is going to be here a lot longer than you are. And, you know, it was a th- it was a threat. Yeah, no, no, no it's, a, it's a terrific song, as Brian said. Hey, Alice, does your wife call you Alice? She calls me Your Majesty, which I just think is so wrong. You know, no, she calls me Coop. She calls me Alice. She calls me Honey. She calls me Babe. You know, my mom calls me Vince. Now, now, now see, there's two people in the world that call me Vince. My mom and Keith Richards. Oh, really? Keith <laughs> Richards will not call me Alice. No, he goes, Vinny, 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 Vinny. He said, Vinny, how long has it been since you've had a drink? And I'd say like 38 years, he goes, ah, it's, it begs the question, why? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great Keith Richards impersonation. <laughs> how are the tap dance lessons going? And listen, um, uh, we we kind of went through the tap dance phase, you know, and my, my wife is a professional dancer. I mean, she was with Joffrey Ballet and, you know, I mean, she's that's what she, she's Ginger Rogers pretty much. And my do, do, my two daughters are also trained in every kind of dance. So they were just putting the tap dance shoes on and they, you know, I mean, they were all over the place. They were Fred Astaire, you know. The three guys in the house were sitting here going, okay, one, two, three, one, two, three. I actually was a little better than most of them, but uh, you probably won't see it on stage. You're not going to see any tap dancing on stage. Oh. Well, there was kind of tap dancing in um, some folks in Welcome to My Nightmare with the dancing skeletons and all of that. That was a bit tap dancing. You know what? That You're absolutely right. That actually was uh, a moment in my life where – we said, let's turn this one section of the nightmare into a Fred Astaire's nightmare, <laughs> you know, and, and actually he came to the show and he saw, he saw the show where the, the, you know, where the, uh, skeletons would just show up, they would turn and they would be, it would be all black. And then, then when they turned around, they had fluorescent bones on and they would just show up and he was standing yeah. there and he went. That that is great," he said. "I can't believe we didn't think of that back in the day, but what a compliment to my dancers, you know, for 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 Fred Astaire to go back and you know compliment them on on their dancing. That that was really one of the coolest moments. Oh wow! Uh, hey, yeah. speaking of cool moments, whose idea was Vincent Price? Well, Vincent Price, we you know we were trying to think of what voice is a voice that everybody would recognize for the on the on the nightmare. We needed him to be talking about the spider. Uh, museum. And we you know we kept going, well, Boris Karloff's not with us anymore. And, uh, you know, we went through the whole list. And then finally, Bob Ezrin said, what about Vincent Price? And everybody said, oh, you'll never be able to get him. So I gave him a call and he says, what time do you want me there? <laughs> <laughs> he came down right then. And, and he says, can I rewrite some of this? And I went, absolutely. I said, this, you're in the band now. So go ahead. So he rewrote some of it. I never had so much fun as working with Vincent Price. He was, he, I swear he would have joined the band <laughs> because he, 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 he wanted to do this. We did a video. We did a three day. Uh, we worked for about a week on, on a full length video for Nightmare. And he was in almost every scene. And he and I got along. We were, I mean, we talked horror movies and everything like that. But this guy had a great sense of humor. I mean, he was really, really fun to work with. And then later on, Michael Jackson used him in Thriller. 
you know. But yeah. I gave him his first platinum album. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, that Welcome to My Nightmare concert, that, um, it changed my life and pretty much ruined every concert I went to for the next 30 years because I'd be saying, where are the giant spiders? Why, why is there not a monster that's getting its head chopped off? Um, how did you get the idea <laughs> where, you jump, where you jump through the screens? That was just amazing. Well, th- that, was, uh, it, that was one of the strangest things. We went, you know, we were looking for something that nobody had ever done. And this guy said, well, if you stretch these, you know, this, this thing up on a, uh, the, it looks like a, a screen. What it is is a series of like strips of elastic that are about uh, three inches wide. Now, if you if you really tighten those, you can go through them and they snap right back together so quickly that you can't tell that they opened up. So I said, so if we if we time it so that we're filming something and when Alice is running towards, when he gets to be life-size, I can pop through and we can make me pop off of the film at the same moment. So yeah. it took a lot of rehearsal wow. and we had to have a guy backstage with a, a stopwatch. And when we started doing it with the, with the people chasing me coming through and me going back in and in and out, we got a little yeah. cocky. We got pretty good at it, you know? <laughs> and, but if you were, if it was your moment to go through and you were halfway dressed, you were going through that screen. <laughs> it did not matter if you were ready or not, because it, if you didn't, then you popped off the screen and, and there was no you. You had to come to it at exactly that second, you know. And we got, after, you know, after doing it for like two years on the road, I mean, it got to be pretty, we, we got really good at it. We were throwing bombs back and forth through the, through the screen. And, you know, <laughs> we kind of really challenged. I've never seen anybody use it since then, though. Wow. No. I, I keep. I'm still amazed by it all these years later. But um, it was such a great effect. You would have had to have the projector a certain amount of feet away from the screens. I would imagine that would have been a logistical nightmare. Oh, it's uh, honestly it, the show was out front. If you would have seen the show behind the screen, yeah, yeah <laughs> of right. people scrambling to get in costume and out of costume, and what? When am I going through the screen? Right now! Boom. <laughs> 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 well, well, it was a great concert. Now you've got a restaurant as well. Well, yeah, we have a place called Cooperstown. I always thought it would be a cool thing to have a uh, a rock and roll restaurant that was half sports and half rock and roll because that's the two things most people care about. So you know, on the wall there would be a Paul McCartney bass, you know, and a uh, Willie Mays baseball bat, wow. you know. So everybody sent me things, you know, and, and we, we combined sports. And rock and roll. And then we had a, a two foot hot dog called the big unit. Whoa. And, and anytime anybody would order it, of course, we'd have alarms go off and sirens go off and everything. So people would kind of look at the table and embarrass the person badly. And <laughs> because the, the hot dog was obscene. It was obscene. Hey, Alice, a, 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 a pivotal song in your career. What, what do you see as the pivotal song in, in, uh, in the Alice Cooper story? You know, I think everybody gets one song that they're going to be associated with forever. Like the Stones' Satisfaction. As many songs as they've done that are so great, that song will always be the Stones' song. I think the Beatles will always be, you know, there's just so many of them. But, you know, you almost have to think I Want to Hold Your Hand is still going to be the song connected to the Beatles more than anything. Us Schools Out was always ours. 
You know, yeah. that was the song that was like the international number one song all over. And, and still, when school is out all over the world, that song gets played on the last day of school. Now, we, we yeah. didn't know that was going to happen. We just wrote it because it was a cool, you know, rock song. I had no idea that was going to be the anthem it turned out to be. Yeah. Great lyrics. Yeah, lyrics. great song, great song. Thank you so much for for joining us on our podcast. We appreciate it, and all the best of luck in this testing time. Um, I hope that I hope everything goes well. Cheers. Bye, Brian and Kevin. Great to chat with you, and uh, wish everybody all the best. Stay safe, and uh, oh yeah, this whole cannibalism thing that you have been charged with—it'll blow over. Don't worry; it'll probably be legalized anyways in a couple of years. Hmm, cannibalism, Brian. I I wasn't aware that you were. Uh had been actually charged with that? Well, I don't know. He might be just working on a new album. It's sort of, you know, a bit of cannibalism in his uh, act could be great. How great is he? Oh, what yeah. a guy. Yeah, what a... What a that well, was fantastic. And, and look, it, we got a bit of his time and we only sort of scratched the surface and hopefully we'll uh, we'll be able to revisit Alice at some other time as well because uh, that, that was good fun. Oh, that was really good. That was such a thrill for me. Now, you mentioned yeah. that song, Don't Give Up. We're going to play it right now. It is, it is a really good song, uh, written, of course, as you said, for the, for the pandemic and uh, for sort of us fighting back. And uh, who better to, uh, to talk to the, the, uh, the virus and, and put it in its place than Alice Cooper? All right. Yeah, I know you're struggling right now. We all are, in different ways. It's like a new world that we don't even know. It's hard to sleep, even harder to dream. But look, you got seven billion brothers and sisters all in the same boat. So don't panic. Life has a way of surviving and going on and on. We're not fragile, and we sure don't break easy. You know it's so hard to cope when you're just hoping there's hope. We're all...
This is Alice Cooper in Detroit. Let's keep fighting. Don't give up. All right, that's Alice Cooper. That's the new song, Don't Give Up. You can check it out on uh, on all the, the regular, uh, you know, Spotify playlists and all those things. But uh, uh, have a listen to it again if you, you get a chance. It's a good song. I spent a few days uh, before we did that interview walking around listening to uh, Alice Cooper's songs. Jeez, he's done some good songs. He really has. Um, he's just, you know, he's got some He's got some really great ballads, which is surprising because yeah. he's such a, you know, he chops his head off and, you know, electrocutes <laughs> himself on stage and then, you know, he can write something like, um, you know, Are You Going to See Me Now? Yep. And um, Only Women Bleed and, yeah, no, he's just a, an all-around nice guy. You and, you and nice me's a guy. great song. I love You and Me. Yeah. You and me ain't no movie star. Yep. Yeah, he's fantastic. And, yeah, no, and if I you haven't be... seen him live and you get the opportunity, make sure you take it because it's the best live show you'll ever see. Yep. I was loving when you said that it changed your life. I mean, it, it obviously was it, it was such a big show at the time. Oh, it was massive. And I've seen, I've seen him probably four times. I generally, every time he comes out here, I try to go, but I, sometimes I have a gig on so I can't. But I've yep. seen him most times he come out and... One of the times I came out, I think he killed himself about every 15 minutes during the show. He must have died about four or five times. It was fantastic. <laughs> no, one of the great showmen, one of the great rock acts of our time too. Yeah, that's, that's the thing about him uh, that's really interesting. As he's got older, um, he, he hasn't lost that edge, has he? No. No, and I think it's um, because, you know, he leaves a pretty uh, – he keeps his mind working because he oh, plays yeah. golf every day and yep. he's um, – you know, he only be Alice Cooper one hour a day or two hours a day because if he tried to be Alice Cooper 24 hours a day, he'd probably die. Yep. And I think uh, from now on, uh, I think we can just call him Vinny, can't we? Oh, we can just call him mate. <laughs> hey, buddy. Yeah, uh, no, matey, mate. That was terrific. That was, that was a real yeah. thrill. And uh, thank everyone who helped us put that together because that, uh, that was terrific, um, particularly yeah. uh, uh, the people from uh, Nights at Alice Cooper, the radio program. Uh, Catherine was, uh, was terrific in helping us put all that together. Now, you Good mentioned last week. Yes. Uh, if I couldn't get Alice, uh, the, the fallback was Jamie Redfern. That's right. Well, it's not a fallback, really. It, you know, as we no. mentioned earlier, King of Pop, uh, you know, uh, toured the world, did everything, so uh, yeah. we got him on as well. So let's get to Jamie. Let's hit you right on a smile with Jamie. <laughs> now, Jamie, the premise of this is that I asked Brian at the end of the last episode who he wanted uh, on, the, uh, on the podcast, and he said, well, if I had to pick anybody, I want Alice Cooper... And uh, if you can't get me Alice Cooper, I want Jamie Redfern. So I've got both. I've got him Alice Cooper and we've done that. <laughs> and as an, as an added bonus, I've got him Jamie Redfern as well. Yeah, right. Hey, Kev, yes, I'm buying that. <laughs> well, Jamie Redfern, I just found something else out about you. You were born in Liverpool. I was, yeah, yeah. Home of the Beatles. Home of the Beatles, yeah. You know, to be honest with you, I began singing typical little kid, three-year-old, and in those days you could you could wander out into the street pretty safely. No one sort of bothered you or anything, different times. But um, it, we used to, I used to mess around, I remember, with my mates. There was a handful of mates, and and we would kind of, the Beatles were our guys. They were the big thing at the time, and so I would kind of start singing the Beatles songs. I'd pretend I was the drummer, I was Ringo, but at the same time I was the singer. And some of my mates, they would grab, you know, tennis rackets, pretend to be the other guys in the band, and we'd sing and mess around, and we had great fun. Yeah, and that's when one of the ladies heard me singing and called me over and said, you know, I think I'm pretty sure the song was either Danny Boy or Red Roses for Blue Lady. And, and she said, you know that song? I said, yeah. She said, well, will you sing it for me? If I sit you on the on the windowsill, will you sing it for me? And I'll give you an ice cream because it's like, I don't know what it was called in those days over there, but it was like a Mr. Whippy van thing. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, and so I said, yeah, all right. And I sang. 
since you got me an ice cream. And I said, well, you know, I've got some brothers and sisters. Can I do some more songs for you? And I buy some stuff for them. So, yeah. So, in a sense, the Beatles were the reason I kind of started singing professionally at three years of age. Wow. Yeah, I think they're the reason why everybody started singing. But um, how old were yeah. you when you came to, when you came to Australia? Um, I was about six. Yeah. Okay. And then six, you started... Seven, you started having singing lessons with Evie Hayes. How did you get onto her and, and you know about her and all of that? Well, that was a funny thing because the first thing I did, I remember we, um, we were on, on the Fair Star. We actually came out on the Fair Star. And it was yeah. Victoria Dock, I think it was. And I, we could see I was a little guy standing next to Dad and holding onto his pants because there were so many people on the deck. And as we're docking, there were thousands of people on the, on the dock sort of looking around. And I could spot my nana, and my dad spotted my nana and the family waiting for him. And he's yelling out, and he, his voice just wouldn't carry over the crowd because the, the noise was, like, ridiculous. So I yelled out, nana, like, really loud, like a, like a singing note. And everybody stopped and kind of, he looked down at me, and he said, wow, okay, we have to do something with that. <laughs> <laughs> and so we then, I remember the same day, we went to Nana's place. She lived in Flemington, not far from the race course at that time. And and suddenly we're, we're sitting down watching telly while all the adults are talking. And then this um, advertisement came on for Brian and the Juniors, which was like with Brian Naylor, TV show that had been on for like 20 years. And there was auditions and stuff for, for the talent quest. So they... They said, you want to get into that? And I said, yeah, that, that, that sounds like fun. I went along. I became one of the team members of about 30 kids, I think it was at the time. Uh, Ernie Sigley was in that before me and a few other people. Patty uh-huh. McGrath, I think. Yeah, Bert's wife. Patty was, was in that before me and a few other people. Yeah, some of the kids, the guys from The Seekers. Peter Doyle, I think it was. Wow. Remember him? Yeah, yeah, remember Peter Doyle? Uh, he was in the New Seekers, and uh, he, he had a he had a, he had a pretty good solo career as well in that sort of late sixties period. He did, he did. So, yeah, so that that show kind of introduced a lot of people. In fact, the majority of people, every single one, in fact, it was from um, you know, with young talent on the original six kids. I was the one that I started working once I left that show. I started working with John Young on some of his other TV shows, like cartoons and shows and morning shows. And then there was an idea. I remember Kevin, Kevin Lewis at the time, uh, the production person with John and my dad. We all sort of stood around one day having a, having a coffee and a, a bite to eat. And, and the idea came up, we need to do a show that kind of, you know, it, it uses John's talents as a host and a singer and your talents as a singer, Jim. wonder what we can do. And my dad actually came up with the idea and said, um, well, Brian and the Juniors was a great show, lasted 20 years. What about something like that? And they said, well, we were thinking about it along those lines. And we then said, well, or my dad said, well, we've got, you know, the phone numbers of lots of great kids from that television show. So therefore, so the other kids had to get, come and audition, all my friends, which was Deborah Byrne, um, Rod Kirkham, James Scarley, Philip Gould, and, and those guys came and auditioned and then got into the show with me and we became the original six members of the YTT. I remember the first time I heard you sing, you had this amazingly mature voice and, a really big voice. Um, yeah. And you were so little, you were tiny, and you had this massive voice. Um, it was just amazing to see. And, um, you know, you, you, you went on to have all these hit records with it as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I was very blessed with all that stuff. But, you know, when I first started, like, like I, I, when I first began singing, it was like rock and roll, uh, blues, 
and uh, that was kind of what I was into. And all the competitions I would win doing that that kind of music. It was the fun stuff for me. And then when I was on TV originally on Brian and the Juniors, and then when I began on YCT, they actually said they came and had a meeting with us. Said you move too sexy, too suggestively for little boys for television. Oh. It's, it's too sexy. <laughs> so we need, yeah, we need to start you, you know, heading down another road. And I thought, oh, great. But anyway. They got me onto the big ballad, said you've got this really big voice and, and there's no one in, in the world like that at, the, at this point in time, so we just want you to, to do that. And I kind of reluctantly, you know, went along with what they wanted me to do. And uh, But, but I, I was, you know, blessed to have success with it anyway, which was great. So were you, yeah. so were you publicly singing "Little White Cloud" and uh, and and those songs and hit your ride in a smile, and then in the in the sort of in your hotel room, you know, you're lobbing the heads off chickens and singing uh, uh, Black Sabbath songs. <laughs> yeah, it was something like that. It was really like the bands that I was into at the time, like Thin Lizzy, Status Quo. Oh, eventually, Akadaka became everything for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, and if I was really feeling down and you know, heartbroken after uh, some girl had left me, broken my heart, I would often go into my little room, uh, headphones on, and just play Akadaka or Status Quo or Sin Lizzy, whatever, and other bands, but, but, um, and play them really loud, and it would just take me to another place. So I was very much a rock and roller. And the stuff that I did, I've always thanked God that I had success with it, but it was never in my heart. Never in my heart. Yeah. Um, you toured America with Liberace. How was that? Oh, amazing. Amazing, guys. See, the people, to, to be doing, like, places like Vegas for, like, you know, six to eight weeks at a time and selling out the biggest hotels in the main room, you know, the Hilton Hotel, and to have every entertainer that seemed to be popular at, the, at that time come out to see me, and Liberace would tell me, go and have a look through the curtain, have a look at who's in tonight, and it would be the biggest name. you some of the people that came to see you. Um, well, Sammy Davis Jr. did. Um, wow. Rock Hudson, yeah, Rock Hudson, Ginger Rogers, um, Jack Benny, Bob Hope. Um, and, yeah. and they'd often they'd often come backstage, say hello. Um, I remember Michael Jackson asked to meet me, but that was in that was when I came back here to do some gigs here, and he was here with his brothers. And he'd wow. seen me in the States, yeah, seen me in the states apparently, and, and asked Molly Meldrum if he could meet me. So Molly rang me up one day and said, "Hey Jim, uh, Michael's here. Would you like to meet him?" And I <laughs> said, "Michael, who?" <laughs> and he said, he said, Michael Jackson. I said, are you kidding me? Who wouldn't want to meet him? I'm going to see his show tomorrow night. He said, well, he really wants to meet you. He said, you're the best singer that he's ever heard. And I said, whoa, are you kidding me? So we got together. We had, I said, has he ever played 10 pin bowls? And they said, no, never. Because they asked him. I could hear him asking. And he said, no, never played it. I said, would you like to learn? I'm pretty good at it. It's what I've been doing in the States and in Canada when I've not been working. Dad's always taken me out to, to you know, as a pastime, just to spend some time bowling. So we ended up doing that. And I was the first person to ever hear the recording. When I went to the States, we kind of, you know, met up again. And I heard the, fir- the first recording, or before it was actually released, of Ben. And that was a treat to hear that before wow. the world got to hear it. Yeah. Did you kick his ass at uh, 10 pin bowling, though? <laughs> yes. Yes. yes, mate. It was easy. Because <laughs> Ben Baker could be. He was so skinny. I mean, I, was, I wasn't much different myself. But he just, he'd never done it before, could hardly hold the ball. And, that was cool. and, and we'd, we'd absolutely, you know, we'd go nuts laughing our heads off because he, as I'd show him how to do it and, and aim for that and do this and carry it that way. Of course, he'd walk up and he'd just drop it and go into the, in, into the gutter and just, that was it. And he'd, he'd turn around, we'd laugh our heads off. 
Oh, wow, that's terrific. Uh, how yeah. long were you in America for? Well, I was supposed to go, when I originally went over, it was supposed to be only three months. Um, it ended up being about 18, 20 months altogether. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Just kept getting asked back all the time on the big television shows and things, uh, 40 million viewers on the casting show and the Mike, um, Mike Douglas show, Merv Griffin. Did you make a lot of money or did the managers and all that get most of that or how did you go with the finances? Yeah, it was held in trust and I was supposed to get that when I was 21. And there's a big story involved with that. But what happened was, all of a sudden, like I'm expecting many, and I'm talking lots of millions of dollars to be handed to me because I've been working as a yeah. state entertainer. But, you know, when the average wage was, I don't know, two or 300 bucks for the week, I was getting like three, three grand a day. So you could imagine. Wow. Yeah, you could imagine. And, you know, and that was just gigs. That wasn't record sales. The record sales were going to the roof. But when I got handed my, my check, um, the money had disappeared and Interpol were looking for it and there was a big uh, thing. They could never find, never find the person that took it. Um, Evie Hayes got stung by that as well. God bless her. Poor old Evie. She got stung by the same person. So, um, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's that, so, that. And that's why my dad, my dad looked at me one time and he said, every now and again, you know, when I see you struggling for a little bit of money here and there, because show business is so topsy-turvy, as you know, Brian. Oh, and sure, he, sure do. And, yeah, and he said, um, every time I've ever seen you struggling for money when you should have owned half of Melbourne, you earned it. It was yours. And he said, yeah. I feel like I did the wrong thing. And I said, Dad, you, you never did the wrong thing. There was other people yeah. that took off with the money. It wasn't you. You did the right thing. We worked our backsides off all over the world trying to establish this name. And, and, and so I'd never have to work again if I didn't want to, but it just, it just wasn't meant to be, you know? Yeah, yeah it happens to so many different people. Leo Sayer told me about Mick Jagger put him onto some personal finance person and lost everything. Um, yeah, yeah. It happens way too often. Um, oh, you know, I walked walk away with, I made a lot of money for a lot of other people, but I didn't yeah. really walk away with that much myself. I was a big fan of you uh, with Uncanny X-Men. I, I went to see you oh. one time. Remember talking about, I was just saying, talking about when I had heartbreak and some girl had kind of taken oh, out yeah. someone else or whatever. And I was having a really bad time. And just feeling bad. And I remember I was a big fan of, of, of the X-Men. Somebody said to me, my brother, in fact, said one of my mates at work, I was going to go with him to see Rod Stewart. And oh, yeah. One of the big centers in Melbourne. I can't remember. It was the tennis center or somewhere. But anyway, yeah. um, one of the big gigs, I can't remember at the time. And, and I said, oh, yeah, yeah, Rod Stewart's good. I really like him. But, you know, wouldn't necessarily go and see him. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not saying he's, I mean, he's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, my God. But. Then I said, who's, who's on the bill with him? As soon as I said, Uncanny X-Men, I said, good, I'm in. Oh, and I, I must admit, I went along and you guys just, wow, it, it nailed it, a treat. I, I just said to the guy sitting next to me, thanks, mate, for giving me the ticket. I said, it's made my night. I've had a lot of fun. And oh, I said, that's the, X-Men, the X-Men were just unreal. And, and what you did, like controlling the crowd and, and all you did, mate, I tell you, wow, that was a good night. That was a good thanks, night. Thanks, mate. Um, are you still singing today, or you do a bit of producing, and you've got a singing school, I believe? But um, are you doing live gigs at all? Well, I, I, I was doing before this COVID thing. I was doing things with my brother Derek. We were doing like an Everly Brothers pop rock kind of thing. Um, oh, so we might go back to doing that. But I want to. I've got a thing called many ears disease, and that's the thing, which is a progressive illness that affects your sinuses, your ears, and the whole thing. And that it, it's the thing that ended. Hugh Lewis's career, right? Oh. 
Yeah, and he can't really sing anymore. So I, I, when I saw that, people didn't understand for years that I had trouble. I can have a really good day where people go, wow, your voice is like bang right up. And I say, yeah, yeah, but it's really hard to produce it nowadays. And they, they say, it doesn't look it. I said, but it is. It's really stressful. And sometimes the range, the resonance, this isn't the way it used to be. And that breaks my heart sometimes, you know, but the way I am now, I'm thinking, okay, if I do go back and do anything, I'm going to start a little band, a rock and roll band. I'm not going to do middle of the road stuff I used to do. I'm going to go back to who I was when I first began, even yeah. though I'm in the sixties. I thought, bugger it, I'm going to go back to what I want to do, go back to my roots, do some rock and roll, even if it's just a couple of two, three really good players with me and, and just have some fun. Yeah. Well, these days, we don't work sort of five or six nights a week these days. It's sort of, you know, Friday, Saturday, maybe Sunday. So, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's not the workload that it used to be, which is, is I suppose, is better. Um, but, yeah, yeah I'll, well, I hope you do put that band together because I'll come along with another look. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> that'd be good. You have to get up and have a song with me. I would love to. That would be terrific. Yeah. Hey, hey Jamie, great. Jamie, when you were when you were coming through, uh, you know, the, the the height of your career and stuff. Most of uh, you, me, and Brian, we all went through that stage where your voice drops and uh, changes and all that yeah. sort of stuff. And then there's certain things that yeah. happened to you, uh, you know, genetically at that time. Uh, did you look after yourself yeah. during that time? Were you well advised when your voice was changing? No, I've always had a bit of a beef with that, Kev, <laughs> because I used to say to the guys at the time they had me. It was like the money-making machine was just kicking in. Yep. And I was earning so much money, obviously, for other people. But, um, you know, and I I remember saying to them, look, I know we're taking my keys down of the songs, you know, it seems like once a month. But my throat's killing me. It's really difficult to sing. My ears are all blocked up. It's, I really need to rest. Can you give me just like a year off? And just give me a break. It'd be good anyway just to break away, not do anything, leave the people wondering, and then come back with something new. And no one would listen. No yeah. one. In fact, yeah. I was told. I was told I was wrong. I was told I had this. You know, I was listening to bad people who had bad advice, and and I said, no, 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 no. I'm not listening to anybody. It's me asking yeah. you. I know yeah. my own body. I know my own voice. So to this, that's why you know when I did become a singing teacher, I uh, one of the guys, um, Timmy, Tim, lead singer of um, the Android. And he thanked me for helping him. I remember his dad met me at, um, he saw me. I was there with my wife at the time and my ex-wife now and, and at the movies. And suddenly this guy sitting next to me with his wife, this older fellow, said, oh, he loves you. And I, I sort of looked, looked at the left and went, what? And he just sat there looking ahead. And all of a sudden again, now he thinks the world of you. I turned around again. I said, mate, are you talking to me? And he goes, yeah. I said, who about? What, what are you saying? He goes, Tim. He goes, you know, I want to do it with Madonna, that big hit song by the Androids. He said, that's because of you. And I said, what did I do? He said, you, you trained him. Oh, and then he told me his name. And I said, oh, wow, you're kidding me. So that's Tim in that band. I, I didn't realize. He goes, yeah. And he said, and you were the only one to train him the right way, give him the best advice. And he's always said that. Wow. He was, prepared, he was prepared to give up his thing on the advice he'd been given by other people. I said, wow. Unreal. That's, that's amazing because I just recorded an album with Tim and the Android. And, oh, did um, you? Yeah. And oh, how he, cool. He, he sings all the backing vocals on the entire album. And my yeah, yeah. God, he's good. Yeah, he is good. Oh, he's you good. Know, I'm sort of a rock and roll hack, but he's got some real technique, which obviously you taught him. <laughs> Well, I was one of the people that had a hand in it, I guess. 
Yeah. Oh, that's great. Hey, Jamie, is it too late to fix Brian now? <laughs> he doesn't need to be sick. He's good. He's one of our one of our best. You're too kind, Jim. You're too kind. Um, yeah. Hey, Jimmy, yeah. you should be you should be enormously proud of what you achieved in your career too. I don't know. They shouldn't shy away from that at any stage either. Yeah. Well, you know, we're talking about now. I thank you for that too, Kev, because you've always been somebody who's kind of um, spoken kindly about me. You know, occasionally you hear negative stuff from people who um, think they know what you're about, and, and they they kind of talk about you as though what you did meant nothing. Yeah. And that saddens me because I, I had to tell one guy, it was only just ordinary people, I'm not talking people in the media, just ordinary people, just the odd person still comes up and they hit you with the Liberace gay stuff and yep. you were this and you were that. And and, and I there's one one or two guys I've had to set straight on Facebook privately and I've said, look, mate, you're entitled to your opinion, but my daughters read all that stuff. If you're yeah. going to do it publicly, and, and it upsets them, because they know it's not true. And and if you're going to do it publicly, you've got to give me your phone number so my lawyer can be in touch. And that usually <laughs> shuts them up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, fair enough too. Fair enough too. Yeah. Sometimes people never fail to disappoint you, Jim. <laughs> no, it's a guarantee, isn't it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, listen, thanks yeah. so much for your time, Jamie. We really appreciate it. Thanks for being on the Life of Brian podcast. Uh, we've uh, we've enjoyed catching up with you, and uh, good luck for the future. Let's hope you get that rock and roll band going, and we'll get you and Mano together. There you go. There you go. There's a future thing. Cheers, <laughs> 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 Jim. You're a superstar. Yeah, thanks, All the best. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, Jamie Redfern there. Uh, kick Michael Jackson's ass in the bowling alley, and, uh, and you'll be next, Mannix, if you're not careful. Well, I believe he's a very good, <laughs> very good bowler. But um, yeah, that was a great story. The one about Michael Jackson and that. Um, he sounds like he said I had a really interesting life. Oh, when you think about that, someone rings him up and says, "You know, uh, come and bowl with Michael Jackson." Jack Benny and Bob Hope were in the audience of his show in Las Vegas. That's, I mean, that is amazing. Yeah, he meant you know, and he meant you know. Old Hollywood and yeah, yeah, and you know, I was disappointed to hear that it's you know he's has a bit of trouble singing now. You know, he can do it, but it's sort of it hurts him a bit these days. Yeah, thanks of course to our terrific supporters. That's Murcott's Driving Excellence. Give them a buzz one three hundred triple five five seven six Murcott's edu au. Hey, uh, Gavin Woods back in town with a new podcast, Brian. Oh, you want to check out The View. <laughs> Not a new movie, fortunately. No, uh, no. A new, a new podcast. We're going to talk to him about that uh, that right now. And you, uh, you're coming up on this, so we'll find out uh, when uh, when your episode's yeah. going to air. I've been a guest on the thing. We had a lot of fun when we did that. Okay. Uh, I can't wait to hear it. So it'll right. be good. And Gavin's just, he's a champion. We love Gavin. All righty. Alice Cooper, Jamie Redfern, and to top off uh, this program, uh, Brian, Gavin cool. Woods on the line to have a chat to us. It just keeps getting better, Kev. I'm wrapped. Fantastic. G'day, Gav. Me? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of practice of doing things, guys. I'm sorry. Well, no, you're not because you, you, the Gavin Wood Countdown podcast is uh, is up and about and the first episode has got you to number three on the Apple iTunes chart, so congratulations. Well done. Oh, really? What yeah. does that mean? Does that mean there's a couple of people listening to it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah you're number three. You, uh, we we uh, we got to number one the other week, and then uh, we've uh, we've dropped down, obviously, because uh, we've got a new episode. Uh, yeah. This new episode coming, but uh, yeah, you got to number three, so you're behind Dolly Parton and Alec Baldwin. Oh, I wouldn't see much sunlight there. <laughs> <laughs> and way too many easy jokes to do. So let's move on. Hey, Gav, uh, <laughs> you've been back in the country for a little while now. How long have you been back since Christmas or thereabouts? 
Yeah, yeah, got back December 1. Wow. And obviously it was a very good move. Well, it was the best move I ever made. Uh, my son said to me, he said, Dad, you can phone America for free on an Optus plan over here. <laughs> and I went, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, they got free plans to call America. I said, well, why am I here in this dust bowl? And since they legalized marijuana in California, the whole place kind of changed a little bit. You know, just got a little bit more sinister, got a little bit more scary and a little bit more weird and all of that. And I thought, yeah. Time to get back with a family, I think. And, you know, the best move I made, I've got five grandkids in Brisbane. Went to, you know, I had time to go out and see them before before the, uh, the lockdown and all of that. Oh, and good. Look, it's just marvellous. It's the best move I ever made. And quite frankly, I was there for 12 years. I should have come home six years ago. Yeah. Uh, well, look, it's good to have oh, you well, back. You gave it a great go, you know, and it's, it's probably you know, Los Angeles, especially one of the toughest cities in the world to freaking do anything, I reckon. It's just over the top. Well, it's tough, Brian, because you've got to you've got to relearn everything. You know, you, you know, I think I have to go from a driver's license, you know, and uh, and there's, it's a whole new, different system to Australia because you know there's there's a lot of people there. So the system, like here in Australia, if you go up to a you know a, a, I don't know any kind of office and they go, you need the red, the green, and the yellow paper, <laughs> and you've only got the red and green, and right. they'll say here, oh yeah, look, we'll take that. Bring bring the bring the yellow one in tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. In LA, if you say, "Look, I've only got two of those," they look past you and go, "Next." <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, they don't care. It's just a numbers thing. So there's, there's really no heart. And yeah, it is. I mean, it's the biggest stage in the world because everybody from all around the world is trying to play on that stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found that it's just the the, the wealth of people, not the wealth of people, but the amount of people there was just. Because you recommended to me that In-N-Out Burger. So I went down to the In-N-Out Burger. It was about the size of McDonald's. I reckon there was about 800 people in there. I could barely fit in. I was there there on New Year's Eve, right, on uh, on Sunset Boulevard. And uh, it was funny. We were all standing there. Midnight had come and gone. You know, it was about 12.30 and and you couldn't move. I mean, it was just shoulder to shoulder. And all of a sudden, one person went, Woo! And then all of a sudden, we're, everyone's going, woo, and the place went off. <laughs> it was like a Chevron at about 2 o'clock in the morning. It was brilliant. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Hey, now listen, talk to us about the Countdown uh, podcast you've done. Daryl Braithwaite's the one that's uh, up and about now. And now you've done, you've, you've actually already done, Brian, haven't you, if you'll pardon the expression, uh, uh, madam? Yes, well, haven't we all, really? No, I, <laughs> Brian, <laughs> that's Brian true. thankfully I've got, uh, I've got uh, Brian, I've got Russell Morris, Brian Mannix, now that's a funny one, and uh, Kate Sobrano, they're all in the can. They're all ready to go. So Beautiful. I can I can wait another uh, you know uh, eight weeks or so before uh, I, I have to get into the studio. So I think my timing might be okay because after six weeks of severe lockdown, we'll knock this bloody thing on the head, and and we can all get back to business. Hope so. Yeah, yeah, we all hope so. Oh well, look, it's good to have uh, good to have you back. Good to have the countdown uh, podcast up and about, and uh, good to know you're up and about too, Gaff. Well, thank you very much, guys. I, I, I was trying to work out how many years we've done each other, and I, I gave up at about forty. Uh, so, <laughs> well, you and I used to you and I used to time. meet you and I used to meet in the in Wharf Street in Brisbane uh, because Four BC yeah. was on one side of the road and Four IP was on the other, and we do mid dawn and finish at five o'clock in the morning, and then you put all your stuff away and then walk outside and we'd we'd meet and have a chat uh, at our cars, and then sometimes we go down the valley and have a coffee. And other times we just uh, beetle off into the distance, and that would have been nineteen seventy four. 
Yeah, wow. yeah, it, it certainly was. I, I, I was doing Midnight to Dawn. I'd just come down from Maribyrn, 4MB in Maribyrn, and uh, I did Midnight to Dawn at 4BC, and uh, you were doing Midnight to Dawn at 4OP. And, yeah. and you know what, David, we, we solved the problems of the world, Kev. You realise yeah, that, did. don't you? Like, in those <laughs> yeah. And we, look, were and we wouldn't have been in lockdown now. If they had to listen to us then, we wouldn't be in lockdown now, you know, Gavin. Well, that's of course. I mean, we knew everything. <laughs> but before I go, I, I've just got to thank I just got to thank APIA because uh, yep. Australian Pensioners Insurance. We're, we're of that age now, but APIA is sponsored the APIA Summer Tour between uh, I think it's May and June next year, oh, 2021, good. and uh, and and they've supported this podcast simply because it's all their, all their acts. You know, they're, they're really good at sending that big tour around every year. All, to all the capital cities and regional centres in, in Australia. And APIA have been fantastic. So I just wanted to say that. And you two have been fantastic in, in your support, and I really appreciate that as well. Our pleasure, mate. Not- always always a pleasure to have you uh, on our podcast or anything that we do, and uh, you take care and stay safe. Yeah, good on you, uh, Gavin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pull your head in. <laughs> I, I, I mean, be good. <laughs> be safe. <laughs> good on you, mate. See you, boys. All right, Gavin Wood, uh, check out uh, the Gavin Wood Countdown podcast uh, up on all the uh, the usual places. Where you where you listen to this particular podcast, you can find uh, Gavin's. Now, I've got to finish on a big note this week, Brian. Before we do, though, I want to remind everyone about Murcotts. Uh, the, the programs that they do are for all ages. Maybe you're not as good as you think you are and maybe you need uh, some help or if you drive for a living, maybe it's time that you uh, had a bit of a refresher course as well. So get on to Murcotts, murcotts.edu.au. One three hundred triple five five seven six. And those teenagers just starting out on the driving. Get them down there. Yeah, we lose too many young people in car accidents. So always, you know, look after your kids and make sure they're driving well. Yep. Uh, driver training for 20, 30, 40 year olds, fifty year olds, six year olds, whatever it is. Get on to Mercots. Mercots edu dot au. One three hundred triple five five seven six. Now we are going to finish with your version with the androids of schools out. Now, how did this one come about, Brian? Uh well we. <laughs> We were just sort of saying, throwing around our songs that we'd like to do, and I said, well, I love Alice Cooper. Can we do um, – and then, that, you know, as, as Alice said, this is the ultimate Alice Cooper song, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I said, can we do Schools Out? And Tim said, yeah, great idea. So we did it, and, um, gee, I reckon it sounds pretty much exactly the same as Alice, but, um, it's you know, that's all right. It's a tribute to Alice Cooper, I suppose. Well, there's but, a, the, the, was there any thoughts of, you know, through Tim, because he kind of put all the arrangements and everything together, was there any hmm. thought of mucking around with it, or did you just think, hang on, you can't well, – it's as good as it gets? Well, it's a, it's a classic, so you can't really – you know, it's like sort of doing TNT on acoustic guitar or something. You've got to – and because <laughs> too, we were sort of isolated from each other – Doing a cover version, the arrangement's already done. Was if you've got, um, if you're trying to rearrange it and stuff, it's pretty difficult if you're not in the same room together. So probably keeping it traditional was um, a wise idea. Hard song to sing or not? No, not for me. Um, no, it's just this is where I should sing. It's just very natural for me to sing. Um, um, you know, and I reckon I sound pretty much like Alice. So good on me. <laughs> well, there you go. Good on me. You know, you, well, you don't want it to be sounding like Celine Dion if you're singing Alice Cooper. Oh, well, no, that, would, would have been, that would have been exactly what I thought you would have sounded like. <laughs> no, Elmer well, Fudd doing, doing uh, the Alice Cooper or Bugs Bunny doing Alice Cooper. No, of course no. Alice, well, it's just well, such a great well, song. Well, what, what, what about the best version of the Beatles that ever happened? It was, um, it was back there and it was 
George, who spoke quite deeply and quite bored, and then there was John, who spoke a little bit higher than the rest of them, and Paul, who'd say, oh, hello, and then Ringo would say, oh, I've hurt my finger. <laughs> and then, of course, the, the fifth member of the band was Rocky. So what? Uh, he's been charging millions of dollars with equipment. Now I can't get a job. All Would you right, like to play drums for let's us, let Rocky? You loose. Let's let you loose <laughs> with the androids. Tim Henwood and the boys here is the, uh, to finish us off this week. Here is uh, Brian and the androids uh, from the, uh, the CD that's out and about. Rebel Yell's available on Spotify. Uh, but uh, check this out. Uh, Brian and the androids doing Alice Cooper. All right. Hi, Alice Cooper here, and you are listening to The Life of Brian. I survived it, and I am sure you will too. Possibly. Probably not, though.